ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. What's going on, everybody, and welcome. My name is Steven Rizzotto. I cover the San Francisco Giants for SF Bay. And I'm the host of RizzoCast, a podcast that features current and former big league players, coaches, fans, media, and others who are regarded as some of the brightest minds in baseball. Today's guest is Caleb Berger, a left-handed pitcher who, a left-handed relief pitcher who pitched in two seasons at the big league level with the San Francisco Giants in 2020 and 2021. He was recently released by the Cleveland Guardians organization and is currently a free agent but he is working his way back by training daily at driveline baseball in Arizona. We discussed the comeback trail, working at driveline for the first time, pitching philosophy, fixing mechanical issues, choosing the Juco route, robo umps, pitching for the giants, debuting during a pandemic, starting versus relieving, playing for Gabe Kapler, so much more coming up next on Rizzo cast. This is episode number 148. Let's get started. All right, and we are back with Caleb Berger, and Caleb is nice enough to take some time and join the show. Caleb, how's it going? Welcome. Good, Stephen. Thanks for having me. And uh, Caleb, you know, you a lot of people kind of come up on my radar um, in different ways, and you're currently a free agent after being released by the Guardians just a few weeks ago, um, but that hasn't seemed to stop you, and I've seen the clips of you throwing, and usually those clips of guys throwing are the attention grabbers. So take me through kind of the process of, of working your way back to professional baseball and what the last two weeks have been, because I'm sure it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess it, it kind of shocked me a little bit because uh, I was hurt before. So then as soon as I got healthy, uh, Cleveland was like, hey, we just don't have any roster space. We're going to grant you a release. Hopefully you can find another team to get to um, so it was a little bit shocking, and then it was kind of like scramble mode. Like, what are we going to do? We got to figure out where we're going. Um, so I, t- I sat down with my wife. Like, we talked, and we made our way back to Arizona. And I plan on going to driveline anyway this offseason. So I was like, well, called my agent, and I was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know, I, I have some extra time now. I might as well get in there and start training now. You know, maybe get a jump up on the offseason if nothing comes to fruition with another team. And in the meantime, it's it's good training and also it's kind of like good exposure as well. If I can go in there and like tweak some stuff and kind of get right and get ready. So for now, I'm just hanging out here in Arizona, training every day and working with the people at Driveline. I threw my motion capture. That was the video you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to break down that data and kind of see where I'm lacking efficiency in my delivery. And it was nice for me too to kind of notice that a lot of my delivery was really solid. I felt like for the last two years, I've been kind of searching to get back to my 2020 comfortability with my mechanics. Like in 2020, I felt like everything flowed really well. I was moving really well and I didn't have to think too much. And over the last two years, I kind of went down like a rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to get back there and try to see like what was lacking. So I feel like I've been more trying, I've been trying more stuff than I probably should have and tweaking some stuff that I shouldn't. So it was good for me to get there and then drive on to be like, Hey, like you do all of this really well. There's just this one little timing piece that we need to shore up, and that should make the adjustment to everything coming back easier and command coming back and everything else. So that's kind of where I'm at now, just training, trying to get right and making some good progress. 
Yeah, and, and Driveline is, is kind of known for the uh, the transformative pitching performances and the, the products that they have. And, you know, you see guys go to Driveline and they gain like three miles an hour on their fastball or something like that. And uh, it, it kind of it brings out the most in guys. So what specifically about Driveline made it kind of a, an intriguing uh, goal to go and train there? You know, you mentioned that you're going to go this offseason. Uh, what, what was it about driveline? Was it kind of what you've heard about the league? Have you worked there before? What, what kind of separates driveline from everything else? So I'd never worked there before, but I feel like I've ran into quite a few coaches from there over the past few years, like Cody Buchel, who I had in Cleveland, he was a driveline guy. And then Matt Daniels was actually the, I give him a lot of credit with San Francisco. He kind of put a lot of light to my stuff in 2019. He was really the biggest um, contributor to my success in 2019 because he was our first analytics guy with San Francisco that kind of took a deep dive into what I had. And he's one that figured out that I had a really high carry fastball, um, especially from like a low release height. So my vertical approach angle is really shallow, which basically means like the ball comes in like on a flat plane. So those two guys, um, and then I met another guy through training at another facility in Arizona. Simon Matthews, who's now, I think, like an assistant pitching coordinator with the Reds. Um, he was also like a driveline coach. So I I had gotten some feedback from those guys on like where a good spot would be to train and if driveline was really worth it. And everybody had glowing reviews. And obviously you see this stuff um, from guys around the league and you get to talk to some of the players after being with a couple different teams. I've like noticed there's quite a few guys that have gone there and had a lot of success. And so I really felt like this offseason was going to be a big time for me to kind of get back to being comfortable. And I really felt like driveline was going to be the best place for me to do that with having the mocap and the definitive data and being able to put together like a specific plan with a coach and kind of attack it that way. Like I just, I felt that was the best place for me to go to really shore up the things that I need to shore up. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that technology that they have, because that's also something that they're known for. And I know that you use it a lot in, in organizations and especially with the giants, with the, the brass that they had, um, the, the rap sodas, the track mans, whatever programs that, that they use. Uh, and I, I don't know if you'd like necessarily came up with that stuff, but it take, did it take you a while to like figure out what all of that meant, figure out how to interpret the numbers and the angles and the, you know, the, the different numbers that, and data that those things kind of pump out. Cause it seems like it would take some time to like figure out how to master that. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely didn't come up with it um, in the beginning. I don't remember. I think we got it starting in like 2019 with San Francisco, kind of when everything switched with Farhan and him bringing in all those guys. And then, like I said, Matt Daniels, he was like our, I don't even remember his, I don't even remember what his uh, actual job title was, like pitch analysis strategist or something, something crazy like that. Um but yeah, definitely. Like, I didn't really know what any of the things meant. They were like, oh, you have like really good vertical break on your fastball. And I was like, well, that's great. I don't even know what that means. Like I'd been taught my whole, my whole career with the Giants so far from like 16 into 18 to like throw my fastball to down, throw my fastball down in the bottom of the zone, try to get ground balls. since I was a starter and like, that's kind of what they wanted. And I kept trying that and not having any success. And lo and behold, Matt's like, Hey, like, stop throwing your fastball down in the zone. Like that's where it's going to get hit. Like just the way your fastball plays, like you don't throw a sinker, or, like throw your fastball at the top. Like you're going to get a lot of pop-ups and swing and misses. So that whole aspect was really eye-opening. And then honestly, I just over the last couple of years, like just getting to use it to different facilities in the off season. And then even during the season, like you just learn the more that you use it, you know, like I guess I've been using it now for going on four years. 
So it takes some time, but I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on it now, which is really helpful because now I can kind of design some like pitch shapes and kind of play with some different stuff and really get some instant feedback. I'm like, Hey, is this, is this a good pitch for me? Or is this not a good pitch for me? And then what do I, what happens when I manipulate a seam this way on my slider? Like I can like take away some vert from my slider, or if I want it to kind of turn into a cutter, I can do that as well. So it's really good to get that instant feedback from that technology. It's really a game changer. Yeah. I'd, I'd be a fish out of water looking at like pitch extent, like extension and pitch shapes. Like it would just be a mess for me. Uh, and we hear players like talk about like the grind of playing every day. Right. And um, it's probably even more so grind in the minor leagues. And was it strange for you? Cause we know it's one thing for a player to have like an expiring contract to become a free agent, but was it strange kind of like showing up to the ballpark every day in Columbus to now not uh, and it's not the middle of the year, but it's in the middle of the season. Uh, is that different from anything that you've experienced, kind of like not having a home in August, in mid-August? Because it feels like it might be a little frustrating or, or uh, you know, you have a lot of time on your hands, I guess, now. Yeah, for sure. It is really weird. Um, I was talking to my wife about that the other day, actually. I was just like, we were sitting here and it was five o'clock and I was like, dang, I'm like bored. <laughs> You know, like I've gotten everything done that I need to do for the day. Like I can only read so many books or do so much like extra stuff, you know? And so, yeah, there is that like, there's that weird aspect of kind of feeling left out too. Like, and it is frustrating for me as well. I feel like I have pretty good stuff. And, you know, I think I did struggle a little bit with command this year, um, which kind of hasn't been the case for me in my entire career. Like over the last couple of years, I would say it's gone down. And I think a lot of that is that like searching aspect. So there is like, there is reasons for me to look at and be like, okay, like I'm not like there, it is, it is on me. Like, it's not just like a bad luck thing. Like I just didn't pitch well enough, you know, at the end of the day and like being hurt didn't help. And I tried to throw through some injury from like May on and there's a pretty distinct like drop off in my numbers. Like all of April, I was lights out and then half of May, I was really good. And then I had like a flexor strain that I kind of kept on the down low trying to just pitch through it and like hope it would go away and as you see like from about mid-may on you can see my numbers just really trend down and that's one of those learning curves for me too or like it's okay if i am not feeling 100 percent to go like get some help from the trainers instead of trying to work through it myself so that's been a learning curve too but yeah it's definitely it's definitely a little frustrating um kind of being here and watching games on tv you know instead of having a place to go play but at the end of the day, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So I'm trying to make the best of it and sharpen my craft a little bit so I can be ready if somebody needs me quick or if I just take this in as an extra two weeks of training for the offseason and get ready for next year. You know, just really trying to stay positive has been has been huge for me because I think in times like these, it's easy to get negative and easy to get kind of bitter. And I don't really want that to leak into my everyday life. Yeah, without a doubt. And and sneaking in a lemonade metaphor there too. So nice. Um, are are you throwing every day? Is that something that uh, like what's your routine now? Is is it throwing every day, maybe taking a day off off in a in a in a you know seven day week? What is kind of the uh the routine right now? So I've been throwing and working out every day except Sunday. Sunday's kind of just like a you know, off day, I guess. And that kind of lines up with the minor league schedule anyway. We had one off day a week. So Sunday's kind of like my day for me. My wife, we go to church and hang out with our friends and kind of do whatever. But the other days, yeah, I'm throwing, working out, trying to throw like two bullpens a week just to stay fresh, like keep them higher intensity. Um, I think I got one on Thursday this week and then I'll have two next week on Monday and Friday. Um, 
but yeah, just trying to stay, stay as sharp as possible. I know there's kind of like no guarantee if I'm going to get a job this year, but at worst case, like I'd rather be ready than not, you know, kind of similar to that whole COVID situation where we didn't really know what was going on. I'm kind of treating it like that. I don't know if I'll get a call or not, but if I do, I, I'll be ready. Yeah. The thing I hear most about guys that are kind of in your spot, either a free agent or have been a free agent in the past that, um, maybe don't have the resources is that they're so blessed when they go to a place like driveline and they have a catcher. Like that's what I hear so much is like every, everybody's trying to track down a catcher. Um, so let's hop into to your career a little bit. Uh, you're a Michigan guy. When did you first start playing baseball and, and how did that kind of become a passion for you? Oh gosh. Um, I think I was like 10 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still give my parents kind of some crap for this but i was that kid in like 10 u baseball or 10 u little league that was wearing jeans out there my first year um kind of a little bit later than everybody else huh 10 (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know i don't really i don't really remember why but i think a couple of my friends from school were like going to play so i told my parents like hey i want to play um unfortunately i was left-handed so that's definitely been a huge blessing and then i kind of just played growing up and I didn't really realize it turned into a passion I think until like high school you know I always just I always enjoyed playing with my friends it was just kind of something fun to do and I was relatively good at it um and I was left-handed so like hey do you want to pitch and I was like sure and then that kind of took off um and I was actually reading I was reading some stuff from Trevor Rosenthal which was really interesting he read the book Outliers which I had read as well and they talk about like the reasons everything happens and it's more your environment than anything else. And I think I was just really blessed to be in a good community in West Michigan where baseball is kind of like not a hotbed, but like everybody plays. So I was able to get in at a young age and just kind of fell in love with making friends that way and being able to just be outside in the summer and the weather. And it really just took off from that aspect. And honestly, I didn't have, I think we all have aspirations of playing baseball when we're little kids in the pros, but I didn't really take that seriously until I got to college. I honestly, I, when I went to junior college, I just wanted to go like get my school paid for. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, And I was like, well, I might as well play baseball as long as I can and maybe not have some student loans. And then I started lifting weights my first year in college and gained some velo and had some attention from some pro scouts. And I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe this isn't such a crazy dream. Like maybe, being a doctor can be my like fallback and baseball can be my like number one. So that's kind of how it all, how it all happened. Yeah. Still time to be a doctor. And one of my favorite things you mentioned this kind of uh, to, you know, promote on this podcast is, is playing Juco baseball. Right. And, and you mm-hmm. took that path and you played at Jackson community college in Michigan before transferring to Indiana university, Bloomington. And why was that the right path for you? Cause I know it's different for everybody and not everybody has to commit to a D one or a D two uh, and Juco baseball, as far as I'm concerned, what I've seen, you know, here in, in the Bay area in California, like it's, it's kind of a gritty style of play. Like those kids are hungry to play. And uh, what was, you know, what was it about the Juco path that, that made sense for you? Uh, I, I didn't have any D1 offers. Um, I didn't even have any D2 offers, to be honest. I had some JUCO offers, some NAIA offers, and some D3 offers. And I never really, I guess, trained for baseball. Like, I had a pitching coach when I was little, but I get little. I said maybe like 12, and I went to him for like two years. Rick Kruger, I think he actually played for the Red Sox uh, for a couple of years. Um, 
but for me going to Juco, like I was a little undersized. I wasn't like short by any means. I think I was six foot at the time when I left high school, but I was about 165. So I was just really skinny and I didn't throw very hard. Like I threw like 83, 84 from the left side. So like that obviously wasn't hard enough to go D1 or anything. And for me, Juco was just a way to take a stepping stone to get to a bigger school, you know? And it mm-hmm. turned out to be really the best thing ever. I met one of my better friends there who um, ended up getting drafted by the Cardinals my freshman year there. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing and showed me the weight room for the first time and really got me like lifting weights. And that's where I saw like my biggest jumps. And I also grew like three inches my freshman year. So I ended up leaving my junior college at like six three, two hundred pounds. So in that in that two year time, you know, I put on thirty five pounds of weight plus three inches and I started throwing harder. That was the first time I started throwing ninety. And that's what got me noticed to the bigger school. But it definitely is a, a grindier um experience at JUCO and I kind of like that you know you're not as spoiled and I remember my coaches at Indiana making that comment too they're like hey we kind of do like JUCO guys because you don't care about the nice facilities like you get to play you just want to play like that's really how I feel like I really just love playing baseball and going out there and competing yeah every time I go and see like a four-year school like you know some of the 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 ones that take the JUCO guys like it's obvious to tell which ones are the JUCO guys so uh for anybody out there it's definitely a, a path uh, if you're a young player, because you're going to play, go where you're going to play. That's like the most. Yeah. Important. And it's a lot cheaper too. It's cheaper. A lot cheaper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you could, you could save some money trying to be a doctor. So hopefully. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Ninth rounder in 2016 by the giants. And uh, I always ask for draft stories. Uh, yours might've been as simple as a call. Um so how did you kind of find out about that selection? Were the Giants like talking to you for an extended period of time? Did you know they were one of the teams? How did that kind of go? So I didn't, I, I'd filled out, I think, a questionnaire for almost every team. Um, I think every team except for Houston, to be honest. So I, I didn't really know where I was going to go or who was going to take me. Um, I actually got some calls from the Dodgers like 30 minutes before telling me they were going to take me in the ninth round. I think they had a couple of picks behind. So I really thought I was going to LA. Um, and then my agent texted me and was like, Hey, like just got off the phone with the giants, like turn your TV on. And so me and my mom were downstairs watching. I was like, Hey, come here. And then I got to see like my name pop up on the screen. So that was just pretty cool. And then obviously um, my agent called me and we like celebrated afterwards, but I not a crazy story, but I definitely didn't expect to go to the giants, but I was super blessed to get that opportunity for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. And you mentioned earlier that you know you came up as a starting pitcher, and your your roots are kind of originated in starting pitching. And you know, eventually, when when you came up to the big leagues, it was solely in a relief role. Uh, did you have a tough time uh, giving up starting, or did you kind of identify the you know I guess the perks of the new role <laughs> in a way? Uh, that's funny because I still feel like I have a hard time giving that up. Like I still miss <laughs> starting for sure. Um, I don't know. I think starting was easier to be honest. Like, yeah, you got to face the lineup a couple of times and obviously I've never started in the big league. So I can't, I can't speak on that um, at all. And that's not by any means saying that I think starting pitching is easy. Cause I don't, I just think the routines that you get as a starter are so solidified and I'm, I'm a very routine oriented guy. So I really miss that part. Um, but don't get me wrong. Like, I feel like I made a good adjustment in 2020 to being a reliever and I really leaned on some of the older guys in the bullpen for that 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's still hard for me to give that up. I, I just really do miss starting. I miss having that day to yourself and I miss being able to pitch like multiple innings and kind of compete against the same guy a couple of times in the same day, as opposed to just going out there and like throwing as hard as you can for one inning and trying to just throw your best stuff all the time. Like I missed the pitching aspect for sure. Yeah. Very routine or, and you're wrong. You have started in the big leagues before that's, that's well, it, was like, a, it was an open, you're an, an opener. I, yeah. yeah. So, and that takes me into my next question about the opener. So you had the chance to be the opener in 2020. Uh, was that a bit strange? Cause like, it's still, I mean, now it's kind of a commodity teams use it like once or twice through the order. If you're the giants, they use it. They only have two starters traditionally and they use it like the opener every other time. Um, was it like strange? Cause it was still kind of new to a lot of guys like warming up, throwing an inning and then having to sit down. Like, was it weird doing that preparation? Well, it was really weird because uh, Cap and Bales texted me like the night before when I was about to leave and they were like, hey, come to the office. And I was like, all right, what's going on? And they're like, hey, well, you're going to open tomorrow. Is that okay? I was like, yeah, it's great. I was like, can I do my whole starter routine? Like, can I play long toss on the field before? They're like, no. No, you have to do everything the same way, like warm up in the bullpen, like play catch at two o'clock before the game like normal. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, I get it. We don't want to change anything. Um and then I remember, I, I'll never forget, like, warming up on the mound and, like, turning around and looking at the scoreboard. And it says, like, Caleb Berger, first major league start. And in my head, I'm like, this isn't my first start. Like, I'm only going to pitch an inning here or maybe an inning and a third. Like, I wouldn't count this as a start. So just like that, that was pretty funny. But it was kind of weird. And then I got done and I sat in the locker room for eight innings. And I was just like, man, like, this is really boring. Like, I missed, like, I feel like the whole game's still going on, like, you know, it was just, it was a really weird experience, but obviously it was kind of cool, but I don't know. I, I wish I could have pitched like seven innings that day for sure. You know? Yeah. You wanted the start, you wanted the bullpen session before and the, the long toss before and right, um, yeah. yeah, it's funny because the way the guys do it now is that they come straight in from the bullpen in the yeah, bottom of the first inning. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's very strange look, but uh, somehow it gets done. I mean, uh, and I do want to ask another change that's been happening and you experience this in the minor leagues is the automated balls and strikes oh, zone. Uh, why the, Oh God. Cause, cause I, I know that there's people that are fans of it and people that aren't my, in my opinion that nobody cares about is I think it completely devalues the catcher and the catcher's defensive skill set. Um, but is it like, like, I don't know, just <laughs> explain the, the automated strike zone and, and what you think about it. So I've I've been fortunate enough to get it for two years now. I had it last year in the BCL when I was with Reno, um, and then I've had it this year in Columbus. And what's been really interesting to me is how different the zones have been. Um, last year the zone was huge; it was absolutely massive. It was it was too big. Um, they were given like an inch on each side, plus like up and down was really big. And then this year it's almost like completely done a one eighty. Like this year the zone is really tight. Um, and then I selfishly for me, like I'm, as we talked about earlier, I'm a pitcher who pitches at the top of the zone and they completely like chopped off the top of the zone. So that was like a really big adjustment for me. And I, I struggled with that pretty much up until like the end of June when I was finally like, all right, I'm going to start throwing my fastball down in the zone again, just cause I have to throw strikes at this point. Like I know that's not where my fastball plays, but. I don't know. I don't think it's great in the aspect of the game because it takes away that like 
it, like you said, takes away the catcher skills. Like there's no point in a guy being good at framing, you know, if, <laughs> if it doesn't matter how he catches it and it's a robot calling balls and strikes, then you could literally put anybody back there with a decent arm and they'd probably have a good chance to throw guys out as opposed to normal stuff. Like uh, the challenge system is better. I don't mind the challenge system. I just really think it needs to be done correctly if MLB does it. Like, obviously, I don't think they're going to listen to my opinion. They asked us for, they sent out like a questionnaire in maybe the beginning of June. And I wrote them probably like a 10 page essay about what I think needs to get changed and everything. I'm sure they won't read it. Uh, It is what it is. But it just it needs to be a little bit more fundamentally sound than it was this year. I, I they were taking it off heights and they were doing a percentage of guys' heights, which is okay in theory. But if you think about it, everybody's legs are different lengths and everybody's torsos are different lengths. So if you take two guys that are six feet tall, like their strike zones are going to be different based on just the the word of the law of baseball. Of like I think it's the middle of the knee to some guys say the letters. Obviously, it's not the letters. I wish it was the letters, but letters are not the top. It might be, might be the belly button or like top of the belt. I don't know. But we were seeing guys get like balls at the belt this year that were called balls on the automated strike zone, which was just like really interesting for me as a pitcher. And even some that were like kind of below the belt that were still balls. So I don't know about the east and west part. Um, I think the east and west part can be on the edge of the plate. That's fine. But I think hopping down if they really want to do it correctly it needs to be like specifically measured to each hitter and i don't there were always everybody was always talking about this year that like the zones would change tuesday wednesday thursday as well like maybe the mlb was experimenting with things like that's just another one of those things where you're in the minors and everybody's trying to like find their own conspiracy theory or whatever but i don't i'm not a huge fan of it i hope it doesn't come to the game but i have a feeling it probably will in some aspect and if it does, I just hope that they really take the time to get the zone right. Like, obviously, pitchers and hitters are never going to agree on it. But if we can get some common ground to just make it to make it fair, like, nobody wants to throw into a shoebox. And at the end of the day, too, like, fans don't want to come to the game and see 15 walks a game. Like, that's not part either, especially if we're trying to make the games go quicker, which I think the pitch clock has done a great job with. But there's definitely been longer games since we've gotten the new um, – ABS in the minor leagues versus before in the year we were playing like two hour games. And then all of a sudden we'd have some games that were like three and a half hours. We're like, well, what's going on? But the zone's just a little tight. So yeah, that would be funny if like on the, the Saturday afternoon games in Reno, you know, major league baseball is like, we want offense today. There's going to be people showing up, you know, let, let's, let's completely shorten the strike zone a little bit, but um, that's interesting. I've never heard, I've never heard how like inconsistent it actually is, but uh, I don't know if you see the report cards on Twitter of the umpires and like a lot of them are in like the nineties, like high, like mid nineties, high nineties and percentage wise. And every few days we see the calls that are pretty bad from umpires behind the plate, but that's like one out of, you know, 500, 600 pitches per, you know, series. So they're not right. That- and I, I, I think that goes to like the news nowadays too. Right. You know, you only see the bad stuff and yeah. that's kind of just the way things are. Like everybody wants to focus on the like egregious things, but I, I agree with you. I've seen a lot of those umpire cards too, and most of them are pretty good. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that just goes overlooked because the bad stuff is what catches everybody's attention. It's easier to talk about the bad stuff. Like nobody wants to be like, Oh, this guy had an, he missed two calls today. Like it didn't affect the game. Whereas a lot of people would be like, well, this guy missed 
15 calls and that really did affect the game. So it's, I think that's just the nature of humans, you know, not to get kind of deep there, but I think that's just kind of the way we are. We fixate on those anomalies and definitely the more negative outliers. So I think that's why it's important for us to kind of shift our focus to being a little more in check with what actual reality is. But I, that's a great point. And I think more people mm -hmm. need to look at that. Like umpires are, the big league umpires are pretty good. That's why they're there. You know, yeah, they have yeah. a job in that league because they're pretty good. So like, let's let them do their job and let them do their job well. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think it's funny because when, uh, when somebody I talked to, because I was blown away by the fact when I got older and out of high school baseball, and I realized that pro ball players call the umpires by their first name and not blue <laughs> so that was something i was like really like they don't call it. so you know umpires don't like no that. it's just they... a respect thing for sure yeah yeah um but that's a good segue you mentioned the bad news let's talk about the good news here for once um sure yeah uh you had the chance to make your debut at dodger stadium in 2020 um th there was nobody there for it uh, but what feelings were were kind of circling through your mind on that day, and and what do you remember from facing that Dodger lineup? Because I went back and looked at video, Caleb, and there's there's some menaces in that lineup that you faced. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Like this gets brought up a decent amount by people. They're like, "Oh, how do you deal with like facing those guys?" And <laughs> I always go back to the exhibition game I played against the A's, like a couple days before, because that was my real first encounter with any big league hitters outside of like our own team because I didn't go to big league camp um at all before and I didn't even go to big league camp at the start of 2020 so I never got to like face those guys and I remember pitching in Oakland and being like oh I got to face Chapman and then Olsen and and Chris Davis and I was like pretty nervous obviously you know like my first time pitching against those guys and I remember I like walked Chapman got up two strikes on Olsen and threw like a curveball that I was supposed to bounce. I didn't bounce it. And he hit like, it should have been like a bloop single, but we were playing four outfielders. So it kind of trickled into the middle. So we ended up getting a double. So I had second and third with nobody out. And I was like, dang, like, I didn't give up a home run to either of those guys. And I probably should have got both of them out. And then I got Chris Davis to like pop up run scored. And I don't remember what I did to the next two guys, uh, but I ended up getting out of it with one run. And I got done with that game and I was like, huh, like those were some of the best hitters in baseball and I didn't really have to like overthink it. And so I was like, well, I guess for the rest of the year, I'm just not gonna worry about who the hitters are. And I'll just let the chips fall where they are. Like maybe I am like good enough to pitch up here. You know, I haven't had a lot of experience, but maybe I am really good enough to pitch up here. And so I remember taking that into Dodger Stadium and it almost, I almost didn't have enough adrenaline for my first big league outing. You know, I had a lot of adrenaline that day in Oakland and then I tried to just be as calm as I could. Uh, like I wasn't really, I was trying to just not focus on who the hitter was. I was trying to focus like, hey, it's just a right-handed hitter or hey, it's just a left-handed hitter and just go from there. And I think that really helped me because I ended up looking after the game and I was like, oh, that was like Max, Munc Max Muncy, Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, Kyle Seeger, and I don't remember who the fourth guy was. But it, I guess mm -hmm. it's not important. But I, had, I don't know. For me, it was kind of just separating the players from the name, if that makes sense, and just kind of realize i realized that day like nobody's superman like everybody's just a human you know everybody's kind of the same and i've tried to pass that information along to some of the younger guys i passed it to two of the guys in cleveland before they made their debuts this year when they were getting called up from triple a i was like hey like it doesn't matter who you're facing like i know you're going to know their name but it doesn't mean they're much better than the guys you've been facing your whole career 
Like if your stuff, like if your stuff's good enough to get called up, like your stuff's good enough to pitch against these guys. So like try not to overthink it and try not to psych yourself out with your face and whoever today. Like they're gonna probably get out. That's just the nature of baseball. They're probably gonna get out. Yeah, and nobody's Superman. You're right, except your cat, who's literally like Tarzan in the background. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know he got locked in this room with me. My wife's out there doing some work, so. Yeah. No, it's entertaining. Uh, so the the pandemic, you know, it was weird to make your debut with nobody there. Uh, but was it a trip coming back? And you know, AAA had crowd has you know has crowds. The minor leagues have crowds when you're coming up. But was it a trip coming back in in 2021? And like, whoa, people are in the stands. It's not the cardboard cutouts. Yeah, it was. I remember because I pitched that first game in Seattle um, in our opener. And I remember coming in, and it was like a super low leverage situation. I think there was nobody on. And I couldn't believe how loud it was. I was like, dang, like, it's really loud in here today. And I, like, walked the first guy, and then I think I struck out the next guy. But I was like, damn, like, I shouldn't have walked that guy. But I remember, like, getting to the dugout, and Bailey's like, you all right? I was like, yeah. He's like, a little bit of butterflies today. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, it was definitely a whole different animal. You know, especially it being my first time with some fans in the stands, but I couldn't I couldn't believe how loud it was and that was such a cool stadium to play at Safeco, but or I guess it's T Mobile. No, not Safeco. Yeah. I'm still called Safeco. Definitely yeah. different. Yeah. Still Safeco to me. Um why like what what did you like about playing in San Francisco for the Giants? What did you what did you like about that organization coming up through the system? Um what what are some takeaways about uh, being in the orange and black? Everything was pretty good. Everything was really good. Um, the communication from the front office, I'll give them so much credit. Like after going through a couple different places, like their communication was incredible. Um, I always felt like I knew where I stood and I probably should have listened a little bit more. You know, I, I think that's one of my bigger regrets is kind of like I should have listened a little bit more and kind of trusted everything that I heard and not kind of tried to guess some stuff. Like especially in at the end of 2021 when I was going up and down and like struggling in AAA. Um, the care, the care and sports staff they have is top notch, for sure. Um, the food was incredible. The food that's probably some of the best food to this day that I've still eaten in my life. Like our, our chefs there were awesome. The clubhouse staff was great. Um, just it just really felt like a family, you know. Um, everybody's just pretty tightly knit, and that was always awesome. And then obviously this the ballpark is beautiful. I love pitching that ballpark. And then I think my favorite thing though is definitely the fan base. Like the fans were just absolutely incredible. And just the support that they really have for that team is really cool. Um, and I even noticed that the other day, like I didn't expect when I put that stuff on Twitter, like I didn't expect to get some like fans commenting on it, but I was like, dang, like I haven't been with you guys for over two years and y'all are still around. Like that's pretty cool to see. So just that, like just that aspect, like that'll have such a big impact on my on my life probably forever so just getting to play in front of those fans and getting to interact with them over the like short two years that i was there was really really special to me yeah absolutely and a few more here before we wrap up but i do want to uh kind of follow up on the ballpark question because you said you like pitching here and i know michigan kind of has the the temperature like the the cold winters maybe cold springs uh did you mind like pitching in cold weather or were you kind of used to it uh or is personally i don't think san francisco is like it's cold but i don't think it's as cold as people think right in especially in the summer the day games like when you're at 68 69 70 degrees like it's not terrible (laughs) so no i i love the weather there 
Um, and I, I really did enjoy pitching early in the year there because it was so cold. I kind of like pitching in the cold better. I think hitters are a little more tentative and a little less aggressive. Um, so I think the advantage is definitely for pitchers. And I don't know, there's just something about being able to see your breath while you're on the mound is kind of cool too, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, the weather there is, is top notch. And it's kind of interesting, like you said, like the day games, the weather's really nice. You know, everybody's always like, no undershirt, feeling good. And then, it's amazing to me how much it does switch. Like I would remember playing catch pregame at like two o'clock and be like, oh, the weather's nice today. And then walking out to the bullpen at night, like turning around being like, I'm going to get my jacket because it's a little bit chillier. You know, it is It is really just a unique city. And I think that aspect as well. Is it true they have space heaters in the bullpen? No comment. <laughs> yeah, no, they do. They do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was like an advantage like to, to not like disclose that, but. The other team's bullpen has it too, so I guess it's fair game. Um, yeah, everybody's got some. I remember we were talking about trying to get some like umbrellas with heaters. We were at dinner one night, me and a couple of the guys, and we saw this like umbrella contraction <laughs> with like some space heaters built in. And we're like, dang, that'd be really cool for the bullpen, like especially if it ever rains. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, and uh, Gabe Kapler, I want to ask about him because you know he's kind of got an intriguing personality. Uh, I know I've I've learned a good deal of baseball from him, but he's just got a way of like explaining things very particular. Uh, what was it like kind of playing for him? It was really cool. I really like Gabe. Um, I think I think sometimes he is smarter than people people think. Like I think he's a very very intelligent human, um, and everything's pretty calculated. So I I would always try to listen to what he said, you know, and try to see what I could take away, and. I don't know. I think he's he's got a pretty good lock on everything there. And he's probably the most dialed in human with his body that I've ever met, which is really impressive. Like I try to I try to know my body really well, but I think I'm a fiftieth of the way that he is. So any knowledge that I could kind of soak up, I probably wish I would have soaked up a little bit more um from my time there. But I I've always been really intrigued when he speaks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh before we wrap up. I have a few rapid fire before we go. I'm going to take this from intentional sure. talk or whoever, and you, this doesn't have to be rapid fire. You can answer them wh- however you want. Uh, there's five of them. Number one, if you weren't a baseball player, and I think I might know the answer because you might've said it before, what would you be? <laughs> Orthopedic surgeon. Orthopedic surgeon. Okay. Favorite movie of all time. Um, Batman, the dark Knight. Nice. Nice. And your cat could star in that movie. The next one. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> number three, uh, you're sitting in the electric chair. What's your final meal? Oh, God. I don't know. The smart, like the smart ass in me wants to say like, oh, you can eat sushi. So I just can keep going. Um, definitely, definitely some type of sushi. I don't know where we're from but sushi for sure yeah all, all you could that's a good strategy of like you know them not you know doing it is all you could eat just keep yeah i would just up. have to eat forever i guess it'd be a really boring life but yeah <laughs> absolutely uh number four where is Shohei otani going next i i don't know i have no idea I'm sure everybody in San Francisco wants him to go there. That'd be cool if he went there. I know all those guys are pretty, pretty 
excited if that happens. So hopefully, let's say hopefully there, but I have a feeling it's probably going to be the highest bidder. So maybe LA or New York. I'll switch the question. That's such an interesting. Yeah. I'll switch the question. Name one word to describe Shohei Otani. <laughs> it's probably impossible. Probably an even worse question, but just go with it. Incredible. Yeah. And I I think that term is probably overused nowadays, but like he's probably the definition of that word to be honest, hmm. just incredible. Yeah. Well, uh, you should market yourself, you know, your free agent now market yourself as being able to play like first base too and see how, see how it goes. <laughs> I played first base in high school and a little bit my freshman year of ball ball in college, but I definitely can't hit. So I'll tell you yeah. that much. I can't hit like that. You have like two RBIs though, I think in pro ball, if I'm not mistaken or an RBI. Uh, uh yeah, I think I do in the minors. Yeah. 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 And then I have two at bats in the big leagues and they didn't let me swing at either of them. Oh, <laughs> that's so I know. Um, final one here. Your message to all 30 MLB organizations about your current free agency and what you want them to know about how you're feeling. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm feeling great. I'm healthy. Um, making some good changes at driveline, and I'm ready to go if anybody needs me. Perfect. Caleb, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I, I know I kept you for a little longer, but it was a great chat. And uh, hope to see you uh, in professional baseball and even better in the big leagues pretty soon. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And everybody could go ahead and follow Caleb on. Oh, one thing. This is what I wanted to know, too. What is the most like common mispronunciation of your name? Because it's Barriger, right? It's Barriger. Correct. Yeah, um, probably Barragar. I feel like it's honestly gotten better. Everybody's pretty good at it now which has been nice, but oh my gosh, coming up through the minor leagues, it was a different one every day. It was it was pretty yeah. funny. It was a different one every day. Good to know that I don't have to redo the intro, so we'll keep that. Uh, but go follow him on Twitter at Caleb underscore Berger. Uh, he's even got the pronunciation in his bio, so go go check that out. Uh, and you can check out the all the TrackMan stuff too. So if you're a big league team out there, go check that out especially. And everybody could follow the uh, podcast on Instagram and Twitter at RizzoCast. More stuff coming soon. Thank everybody for listening and have a good day.